from lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. In today's show, I'm sharing my gardening tote essentials. Yes, I am. I'm sharing all of my favorite things, the loved, discovered, and wonderful items that I like to use when I'm in the garden. So you might now be asking, what are the things that I drag around with me in the garden that are maybe a little different from some of the usual things that everyone else likes to rely on? Yes, I have pruners. Yes, I use garden gloves. Yes, of course, I have twine and trash bags. Every gardener uses these items, and they're often found in their trusty garden tote. But today, I'm talking about some of the more unique things that I've incorporated into my gardening practice over the years. These are the things that I find I use most regularly in the garden, but they're also maybe a little off the garden path for most gardeners. In fact, these items probably weren't in your grandma's garden tote. It's my first show back after having my rotator cuff surgery, and this is such a fun topic for me. It's something I love to chat with other gardeners about. It's my recommended essentials for your garden tote. That's the topic of today's show, and it's all coming up after the Garden News Roundup. But first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for spending some time with me this week. And also, I'd like to wish a belated happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. I know it's a time when we usually get flowers, right? It's a common Mother's Day thing for kids to get their moms. When my kids were little, uh, I had four kids in five years, and when they were little, it was hard for them to figure out how they were going to get me something. You know, they don't have a car. They don't make their own money. And so they always wanted to get me something. And they wanted to make sure that it hit the mark correctly. So after a couple of years, I figured out the system that we used for probably a decade with the kids. And what I would do is I would sit down with the kids and we would pick three colors, that I would like for my garden planters, my containers on the property. Because I generally try to pick a color scheme for the year and I would try to buy annuals that were in that color scheme. So we'd sit down together and we'd talk about the colors and I'd kind of guide them toward the colors that I was looking for. And then I literally sat down with the kids and talked to them about Thriller, spiller, filler, those three different types of flowers or plants that you want to get when you're putting together containers. So my kids learned about that at an early age. And when they would go to get me my Mother's Day gift, whether they went with my husband or a friend or a babysitter, what have you, they knew that they each could pick out flowers that fit that color scheme. They knew that they had to be either sun-loving or shade-loving. It didn't matter. I had containers all over the property, so it didn't matter to me if they picked sun-loving or shade-loving. And they knew that they would have to pick some boring green plants, things that kids typically see as boring. So plants that trail, plants that are spiky, plants that we as adults would probably pick more for their foliage. And I'd give each of them an allowance so that they could go pick four to five annuals at a nursery. And they would come back home with them, usually on the Saturday before Mother's Day. And then on Sunday, we'd all go out to the garden together and we'd pot up the plants that they gave me. I'd always take a picture with all of them in front of all of the annuals that they'd picked for me. And we'd pot them up together. And it was such a wonderful little tradition because it gave them ownership over something in the garden It was a way that they could show their love for me. They knew that they were definitely hitting a home run by getting plants for mom. And I loved that sweet little tradition. Now they're growing up. I've got two that have jobs. They're able to get me something on their own, which they do. And my youngest is in fifth grade, and he made the most adorable elementary school card. I think it's probably the most adorable card that I've ever gotten from one of my kids in elementary school. Their teacher is a photographer, and he had my son hold 
these graphic letters, these monograms. So he took a picture of John holding M and then O-M and developed these pictures and put them together in a card, which was kind of in a triptych format. It was absolutely adorable. And then John did what most elementary school kids do. He gave me a coupon. And the coupon was for a free hug, and it's reusable. So I told him I planned to redeem it every day, and it was just the sweetest thing. And he also made me a small little glazed clay pot. It's really little. It's something that I probably would have put paper clips or something in. But instead, I have this beautiful fake succulent. And so I've turned it into a very small container and I've put it on my desk and I'm looking at it right now and I just love it. So I'll take a picture of it and put it in the Facebook group if you want to check it out. It's very sweet. I have a lot of these (laughs) sitting around the house, all the creations that the kids have made. They're wonderful. But this is the first time I've used them as a container. So It's a nice little thing to have on my desk. I always think of John now when I look at it. So I hope that if you got flowers for Mother's Day from your kids that you're still enjoying them. And who knows, maybe you'll incorporate the idea that we used for so long about having the kids go out and pick the flowers that you'll use in your containers next year. It was really a wonderful tradition. Well, and I just want to say a word because a number of you have sent me emails to see how my recovery is going after rotator cuff surgery. And I've been telling people it is slow. It is a very slow process. I'm finding you cannot rush this recovery. And I'm a very active person. I love to be busy. So it's been tough. There's been a lot more pain and discomfort than I imagined. But I think I'm through the worst of it. I had my three-week anniversary this past Wednesday. And now it's all about the physical therapy and getting range of motion back. So I'm doing well. I'm on my way to the six-month mark when I should have full range of motion back in my shoulder. And I'm really looking forward to it. So anyway, thank you for asking and for thinking about me. And thank you for spending some time listening to this program this week. I know there are a lot of options for podcasts out there, certainly gardening podcasts. There's a lot of great gardening podcasts that I myself listen to. So I'm sincerely honored that you're spending time here listening to the Still Growing Podcast. If it's your first time listening, especially, I just like to welcome you to listening to the program. If you're looking for a deeper interaction on the subject of gardening that goes beyond the podcast, the best way for you to do that with this particular show is to join the Still Growing community. It's a private Facebook group that I host for gardeners of all skill levels and locations. In fact, there are gardeners from all around the globe in the group. And what I love is that it's not a huge group. It's not overwhelmingly large. It's just a very nice group for listeners of the show who share a passion for gardening and have a curiosity to learn more. They're lifelong learners. Plus, it's free and it's easy to join. So if you want to come hang out with us, don't be shy. Even if you've been listening for a long time and you've never joined the community yet, it's really super simple to be part of the group. And I just love the group. Danny Perkins, when I was trying to recover last week, sent an adorable video of his garden That was just flush with all of these wonderful pink blooms. And somewhere in the garden, his cat was hiding. So he's like, can you find my cat? It was just wonderful. It was great therapy for me to get a glimpse into his southern garden. It was wonderful. And I love seeing the pictures and videos of everyone's gardens. It's really fun for me to see. So if you'd like to be part of the group, all you have to do is go to Facebook and search for Still Growing Podcast Group and then click to join. Or you can go to my website. It's at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. And then right in the main menu is a link that I've created that'll take you right to the Facebook group. And it's just called Facebook Group. And if you're listening to this episode and you like what you hear, you should definitely join the group because not only are there great giveaways for listeners, but in addition to sharing news and conversations about gardening, I like to plan fun activities for listeners of the show. And these are all designed with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. So if you're not yet a member of the listener community on Facebook, I'd love for you to join for free. Just head over to Facebook 
and type in still growing podcast group and then just request to join. Now, as I just mentioned, the Facebook group is the only place I go to pick winners for any of the giveaways from my guests. And in my last episode, I got the chance to speak with Bree Arthur. She wrote the new book called The Foodscape Revolution. I loved this book, and I super enjoyed my chat with Bree. And the winner of Bree's brand new book is Sue Luftig. So congratulations, Sue. Just go ahead and private message me in the Facebook group with your contact information, including your address and email, and I'll pass it on to Bree and she will send you a copy of her book. So congratulations, Sue. Now, while I'm at it, I might as well try to get started catching up on new members of the group that have joined during my recovery over the past couple of weeks. So here we go. New members, to the Still Growing Podcast Facebook group include Stacy Zorns, Emmy Keeling, Warren Wolverton, Kathleen Bonafonte, Taylor Ryan, Jason Goforth, Michael Lockstamfor, Kara Meskar, Julie Lang, Stephanie Tanaka, Anthony Tim, Reagan Sims, John McQuaid Tomkinson, and Mark Edit. Welcome, you guys. And also, I want to make sure I recognize the individuals from the Facebook group that are part of my listener advisory board. These six volunteers interact with me usually on a weekly basis. I try to do a video chat that's live with them. And if they can't attend that, then they get an audio recording of the video chat. And I ask for their input on things related to the show. And it's all in an effort to keep the show very listener-directed. And my idea behind the Listener Advisory Board is that these folks help me out for about a four-month period of time, and then I rotate and get new listeners to help me and provide me with their feedback and suggestions. Anyway, these listeners have done such a great job, and they are Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine, Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens, and she is based in Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was also featured on episode 553, where she shared a presentation that I had the opportunity to listen to that she gave last summer, and it's all about native plants, and it's wonderful. So if you're interested in incorporating more native plants into your landscape this summer, and I hope that you are, go ahead and give that episode a listen. It's episode 553. So anyway, thanks again to these Listener Advisory Board members. They've given me really stellar feedback, and I really appreciate it. You know, when I created the Facebook group, I had this vision for it that would allow listeners of the show and guests of the show to continue to interact with each other beyond the podcast and to interact with me. And I'm so delighted that so many guests of the show have joined the group. Guests like Rick Sherman. He's one of the major pioneers in the Schoolyard Gardens program, and he's based in Oregon. Josh Volk, the author of Compact Farms from episode 560. Jody McKee, a fantastic, passionate herbalist here in the Twin Cities. She's in episode 564. And of course, Brie Arthur. She's the author of The Foodscape Revolution, and she was just featured in episode 569. Anyway, it's a thrill to have these experts in the group to help answer questions or just offer their input on an occasional basis. I really appreciate it. You know, for me personally, having listeners of the show in the Facebook group is great because I can get immediate feedback on the value of any episode that I produce. So for instance, my last episode with Bree resulted in a lovely comment from a listener named Alex Long, and then other listeners chimed in and said what they really liked about it. Joanne Scott Brunker said she was going to try to grow rice in her area. I'm going to do that as well because Bree had advocated for that, and she really piqued my curiosity with it. And it really struck a chord with people, all of the great ideas that Bree shared in her book and in our conversation. Anyway, I love it when we can get guests of the show to come be part of the group. 
it's just a really nice feature of this particular podcast community. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. These are just a handful of the curated posts that I've collected over the past couple of weeks, and they've all been shared in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, just head on over to the group. It's all there. You don't need to take notes, and you don't need to worry about trying to find links for these resources because it's all in the Facebook group. In the guest update segment this week, I just want to remind you of the American Meadows offer to still-growing listeners. Jenny Prince of American Meadows was with me on episode 566, and we were talking all about how to get kids to help you in the garden. And at the end of that episode, Jenny had a nice offer for listeners of the podcast, and it's $10 off any order of $40 or more for listeners of the show. So just go ahead and use the code STILLGROWING17. That's the coupon code. Again, it's STILLGROWING17, all one word, and that offer expires May 31st. So the show will be released on the 19th. You'll still have time to use that coupon code. It's still growing 17. Also in the guest update segment, I subscribed to Jody McKee's spring newsletter. So if you haven't done so yet, she's the local herbalist that I had on the show. And her website is Inspired Living Home Body Spirit. So it's kind of long, but you want to type it all in together, inspiredlivinghomebodyspirit.com, and you can subscribe to get her newsletters, which I think are so well done. She's got some beautiful photography here of spring in her garden, and in her latest newsletter, she shared a wild spring pesto recipe, and then she has herbalist Julia Graves paying her a visit from France. And she's teaching all sorts of wonderful classes, May 17th through May 21st. So if you're in the Twin Cities area, head on over to Jody's website and check out all of the wonderful course offerings that will be featuring Jody's friend, herbalist Julia Graves. There's a couple of unique ones that have caught my attention. The first is Flower Essences for Pets. There's an herb walk that I'd love to be part of, meeting local plants and weeds while learning about their traditional and common uses. And the other one I'm very interested in is called Ferrying the Soul Across Flower Essences for Life Transitions and Death. And here's the description. I think this is a fascinating and very unique course opportunity. I'm going to tell you about it here. It says, life consists of continuous cycles of becoming, existing, and fading away. Within the big cycle of conception, gestation, birth, life, decline, and death, there are countless other smaller, similar cycles. They can occur on a mental, emotional level, in our bodies, or our surroundings. Ferrying ourselves and others through the rapids of the eternally changing river of life can be a challenge. Flower essences are powerful allies along the journey, be it in times of crisis, bereavement, or when helping others birth or pass. They can ease the transition and ferry us across safely. In this workshop, we will study how flower essences work, as well as the main flower essences for crisis, transition, and the ending of a cycle for letting go. We will also look at the disillusion of the body-mind link at death and how the soul lifts out of the body, and how to assist that process in the most gentle and peaceful way. Now, if that isn't one of the most unique course descriptions I've stumbled upon lately, I don't know what is. I'm really excited for it. In my own garden tradition, I love to use the herb rosemary, and every spring when I plant rosemary, I think about all of the people that I know who have passed away in the past year or special people that I've lost over my life. And as I'm planting rosemary, which is the herb for remembrance, I say a little prayer about that person. And oftentimes I'll take a picture of the rosemary and I'll send it to someone I know who also loved and now misses that person as a way to honor their loss. So that's my little tradition of using the garden for healing, and honoring others. And 
this particular course, I think, goes way beyond that. And while I'm on the topic, Memorial Day is coming up. And over the past couple of weeks, I've thought about putting together a show on creating memory gardens or memorial gardens, gardens that get created after loss. This happens so often. I have a friend that planted a tree or I have a friend that planted a peony. Another bought a garden bench and then placed it in her favorite spot in the garden so that she could sit there and remember her loved one. But I think it's an interesting topic. And I'd love to curate ideas from folks who have created these and put together some ideas for you so that either you can use them or you can share them with someone that you think would benefit from that. So I'll see what I can come up with in the coming weeks. But that's what I'd like to be able to put together for you for the show around Memorial Day weekend. In sustainability this week, there was a really nice post that was shared by thinkstuff.net. And I really liked it because it's something I like to do. And that is growing vegetables in partial shade. And they did a nice job. They shared 26 vegetables that you can grow in partial shade. And they included everything from beans and beets to carrots, cauliflower, turnips, kale, and spinach, just to name a few. Anyway, it was very well done. And this is where I love the happy accidents, where you just have maybe some leftover vegetables and you don't have space for them. And so you tuck them in maybe a Western garden or an Eastern garden, an area that doesn't get full sun. And you're delighted with the delayed growth and the extended growing season that can happen when you grow something in partial shade and it actually survives. This is always a special bonus for the experimental gardener. So if you're somebody who experiments, you probably know a lot of vegetables that you can grow in partial shade. And for folks who are maybe a little bit more by the book, this could be a revelation. So look into that and experiment a little bit. Give it a try. You might be pleasantly surprised. I love growing, especially cold weather crops in my Western garden as spring is fading and summer is coming on because they can tolerate that partial shade when their brother and sister plants in the southern garden are putting their hands up and saying, we're done, we can't handle this heat. All right, you guys, in the continuing ed segment, I have got to tell you about a brand new cookbook that you should put in your garden library this summer. And it would be a fantastic gift for a gardener in your life. And it's called Six Seasons, A New Way with Vegetables. This is the debut cookbook from Joshua McFadden. He's a chef with the soul of a farmer and the palate of a visionary. It's getting fantastic reviews. You can buy it on Amazon right now for about 22 bucks. The Kindle version's about $10. Anyway, Joshua is the executive chef and owner of a Portland, Oregon restaurant, which Bon Appetit magazine is named a top 10 best new restaurant. He's spent some time in Rome cooking at Alice Waters Project in sustainable dining at the American Academy. He spent two years as a farm manager at Maine's Four Season Farm. And the restaurant in Portland that he just opened up is called Tusk, and it opened in 2016. Anyway, this one is actually on its way to me right now. I'm very excited to get it, and it definitely deserved to be in the continuing ed segment this week. So go check it out. It's Six Seasons, A New Way with Vegetables by Joshua McFadden. All right. Also in continuing ed this week is a great article that was featured in the spruce.com, and it's called Seven Flowers Bugs Won't Eat. This is actually something Jamie McIntosh wrote for them last year, but I thought it was a really nice list. And it includes everything from Russian sage to dianthus and catmint. It's a nice little list for beginning gardeners who are looking for some pest-proof options for their garden. And then finally this week in Continuing Ed, I included this article that I found in the Experience Life magazine. Our family belongs to Lifetime Fitness here in Minnesota. And so as a result, we get the magazine that comes with the health club. And there was an article that caught my eye, and it was called The Elite Turnip. And the subtitle was, Are unfamiliar ingredients really an elitist construct, or are they just a reminder of the way people used to eat? It's a great little article. Anyway, toward the end of this particular article, they were interviewing Chef Evan Mallett, 
out of New Hampshire. And his restaurant is called The Black Trumpet. And he regularly churns out plates of scarlet turnips, gill feather turnips, and many other varieties that people would normally not consider everyday American food. And while Mallet did not grow up in a home with a mom or a dad that liked to cook, he did grow up with a desire to know more about the world. And he cultivated an appreciation for common plants that were pantry staples for people from an earlier era. And the quote that I loved is where he said, wild thyme, dandelion greens, and all these things that if you grew up poor in Europe would be ingrained in you as great foods, it was all new to me. He said, I'll never forget the first time I spotted a chanterelle, that's a mushroom, and confirmed it was a chanterelle. It took my breath away. Anyway, later on in the article, he says, I wish I could go to every American and say, what are we eating here? Should we branch out a little? So this particular article, in conjunction with the Six Seasons cookbook I just talked about, I think is a great way to stretch yourself as a gardener. And it also builds upon the podcast in my previous episode with Bree Arthur and her book, The Foodscape Revolution, where Bree's encouraging us to branch out and incorporate edibles into our landscape. Taking that one step further, I think Evan Mallett would want us to branch out a little bit in terms of the edibles that we're planting in our gardens. Anyway, I think these three particular items are great for your continuing ed this week. In the how to segment, There were two articles. The first was from Brit.co. They shared 16 floral DIYs that will get you pumped for spring. They were adorable. They start out with something I thought was super cute, and it was this floral curtain. It's a great to-do. They start out with a sheer curtain, and then at the bottom, they start to attach different floral accents. It looked really cute. And there were 15 other great ideas. I won't go through them all here, but that was really great. All right. And then last year, I talked about how Kokodama was going to be a big trend this year in 2017. And Apartment Therapy just released this very nice, comprehensive article on how to make your own, these hanging gardens that are perfect for small spaces. This is a very nice how-to. And I've seen them in lots of nurseries, and they can be quite expensive. But I think Apartment Therapy breaks it down. It's very doable. And it would be a fun project with the kids. And I especially loved the illustration that they showed of the Kokodama ball with the mother-in-law tongue, the houseplant coming out of it. I want to give that one a try for sure. My mother-in-law tongue is just swelling in this bean pot that I have. So I need to give it a good freshen up and I'll have all of these little babies that I can work with. So I'm excited to give that a try. All right, in the news segment this week, There was this great story from Canada about this baby bird monitor. It's this live nest cam that's showing the rarest owls in Canada and these little baby owls. It's adorable. In fact, the particular species of owl that's covered in this article is so endangered that it's estimated that only 20 live in the wild in Canada. So I really liked this article. And then this particular piece kind of dovetails nicely with something I'll tell you about in the shopping segment in a little bit. So that was a great article. Also in the news, last month, right before I went into surgery, I stumbled on this article that was in Glamour.com, and they were showing these floral eyeliners. You have to see these pictures. A lot of them were posted on Instagram. It's pretty wild. Some of them are pretty cool, but it's floral eyeliner, and it's a new makeup trend for spring 2017. Might be kind of fun to do if you're in a garden tour or something where you're attending something with fellow gardeners. If you want to stand out, just use the floral eyeliner. You'll have to see it. And the dream guest segment this week is Karen Mordecai. She's the founder of Sunday Suppers. And I'd love to talk to her about her new cookbook. It has a beautiful, clean design and bright photography. And it's called Simple Fair Spring and Summer. It's a new cookbook of simple garden fresh cooking. In Science This Week, I shared a post that Margaret Roach had written and posted back at the end of April, and it was simply called Understanding What Makes Plants Happy. And in this particular article, Margaret shares the work of her friend Thomas Rayner, and he's designed landscapes for the Capitol Grounds, the Martin Luther King Memorial, the New York Botanical Garden, 
and he's co-author of the book Planting in a Post-Wild World. And what I loved about this article is that Rainer shares this German idea of sociability that was developed by Richard Hansen and Friedrich Stahl. And what they did is they rank a plant's predilection to spread on a scale of one to five. So a low sociability plant is one that when you're in the wild is almost always found by itself, whereas a high sociability plant is one that spreads into large colonies. And believe me, since I've had my rotator cuff surgery and I have not been in the garden yet this spring, I know, gasp, I'm, I'm alarmed my own myself. I'm very alarmed by that. But I have to say the highly social plants are going crazy and they're not always the ones that I want to be growing in my garden. I have a lot of weeding to do. In any case, the whole point of this article is that we can learn to arrange plants according to their sociability level. So plants of lower levels are set individually or in small clusters, whereas plants of higher sociability levels are set in groups of 10 to 20, and then they're loosely arranged around other plants. I loved this concept. Anyway, there's a lot of fascinating science that's shared in this article. And the goal behind it is to really help us become better at planning our landscapes in a way that honors this particular factor that we take into consideration the sociability factor of plants when we're incorporating them into our landscapes. All right, in shopping this week, I'm recommending the Nest Cam. Now, I bought this off of Amazon right before I had my surgery because I discovered that I had robins that were nesting right outside my front door. And I knew that this recovery was going to really knock me off my feet and that I wouldn't be able to go and check on these guys even through the sidelight of the front door. And I also didn't want to disturb them very much. So thanks to Amazon Prime, I ordered this Nest Cam. It's N-E-S-T Cam. And I had my oldest install it. It was very easy to do. And thanks to this camera, I was able to watch live video of these robins during the first two and a half weeks of my recovery. And I tell you what, it was amazing. So there I was, fresh out of surgery, can't move my arm, and these little baby robins had just been born, and I could completely identify with them. I couldn't move around very much. I needed to rely completely on my family to help me in my recovery. I was just as dependent on others as these little baby robins were. And it was so fun to watch them and to watch the parents and learn with the kids about what was going on with them. And what I love about this camera is that for 10 bucks a month, I could subscribe to have this feature that would actually record the video. And every morning when I would get up, one of the things I would do is go to my app that goes with this particular camera and then scroll through what had happened the previous 24 hours. I got a sense for how frequently the parents were visiting the nest. I even discovered that the neighbor's cat is paying a visit to my porch a couple of times a week. I had no idea. And the camera is great because from my iPhone, I could completely control the zoom. And once I figured that out, I set the zoom to be hyper-focused on the nest. And when I would do playback, I would just do screenshots of awesome images of the parents feeding these babies. And it really was wonderful. It was a great thing. And I think it was a special part of my recovery because as those little robins grew and got stronger, I did too. So I think I'll always look back on this rotator cuff surgery and think of these little robins and this particular camera, which I wasn't sure if I was going to keep. And now I love it. So if you've been thinking about getting some type of outdoor camera or security camera, I really like this camera. Now, I put it in the shopping segment this week. It is a bigger purchase. It's an investment. It's gotten great reviews, but it is $172. So I'm just going to warn you, it's an investment piece. But I like it. The particular one we got is white, so it matches the trim on the house. You get 24-7 live video. It records day and night. 
So the night vision is pretty darn good. You get alerts. So if somebody comes to your front door or if it detects there's a human that's walked in front of the camera, it'll say, hey, we've detected activity. We think there's somebody that's been in front of this camera. So I'll get notifications on my phone. And you can even talk and listen, which the listening part blew me away. I have not tried talking to anyone through my camera, but I could just not only watch the video of those little baby robins, but I could hear all of the sounds that they were hearing. I could either watch them live and hear sound along with the video, or when I went back in time and reviewed all of that video from the previous day, I could actually hear what the robins were doing and what the other birds were doing in the area. And that was a blast. When I was recovering early on from my surgery, I was sleeping on the couch a lot. In fact, I'm still doing that because I can't stand to lay down in bed yet. But where this couch is, I can really hear the birds in the morning. And I was wondering, after seeing all this video and hearing all of the bird sounds that happened super early in the morning, what the birds were going to do when we went through a really deep cold snap in the beginning part of May. And you know what? It didn't affect them at all. They still sang their hearts out in the morning. So apparently they sing when it's nice out and they sing when it's cold out. It didn't make any difference. But I really loved the sound feature. It was amazingly crisp. The video was wonderful. I'm thrilled with the pictures that I have of these robins growing. Just the whole thing was great. So if you're looking for something like that, if you want to invest in something like that, I really like this particular camera. And it's the very first one that I've ever worked with. So that's just my unbiased, free opinion. Use it as you will. All right. In the inspiration segment this week, there was a piece from homily.com and it was called Gardening, Seven Secrets to Keeping Your Garden Beautiful the Whole Year. It gives a lot of design tips. The one in particular that caught my attention was the green walls. They feature a way to turn fences into living walls. I loved the incorporation of this element into the garden. It's something I want to do more of. And then the other piece for inspiration is from the Architectural Digest. It was very sweet, and it's called Eight of the Smallest, Cutest Gardens and Outdoor Spaces. So if you have a small space, these little gardens are out to prove that size doesn't matter. And they were absolutely adorable, totally striking, and very inspired. I say yes to all of them. They were great. This week, I shared a number of recipes. The first was from Lauren's Latest. I love that blog. So if you're not subscribing to that or if you've never checked it out, check out laurenslatest.com. It's L-A-U-R-E-N-S latest.com. Anyway, she shared her grandmother's cucumber salad recipe. The pictures and everything are great and really get me in the mood for good spring cucumber salad. The New York Times shared a cold tomato soup recipe I thought looked really great. I haven't tried it yet, so I need to get on that, but that's something I wanted to do this year, so this is great. And then finally, thekitchen.com says there are 10 salad dressings that we need to know by heart, and this is something that they shared at the end of April, and they walked through 10 basic salad dressings. And this is something I'd like to get better at. Instead of always referring to a recipe, just being able to pull together a wider variety of salad dressings that I'm comfortable with and that I can put together completely by heart. So I liked this as just kind of a personal challenge for myself. We do a lot of salads in the summer. The kids know how to harvest them. They know where to go, what things they can incorporate from the garden, whether it's herbs like dill, or time, what have you. I love seeing the little things that they add to our salads in the summer. So salad dressings is just one way I hope to continue to grow this summer. All right. And then last but not least, I thought of a new way to end the Garden News Roundup every week, and that is with a garden quote. So if you have a favorite garden quote that you'd like me to end the Garden News Roundup with every week, just go ahead and Share it on the Facebook page, the Still Growing Podcast Group, and your favorite garden quote just might be the garden quote that I used to close out the Garden News Roundup that week. So this week will end with a peony quote by Henry Mitchell. He was an American garden writer. And of course, peonies are 
just starting to bloom here in Minnesota in Zone 4B. So I loved this particular quote, and it says, The fattest and most scrumptious of all flowers, a rare fusion of fluff and majesty. The peony is now coming into bloom to mark the highest of high spring. All right, so that's it for the Garden News Roundup. Again, if there's anything that I talked about that you're interested in tracking down, just head on over to the Still Growing Podcast group in Facebook. Just request to join and we'll admit you into the group. All of the folks that are in the listener advisory board help me do that. So make sure to do that the next time you're on Facebook. Just type in Still Growing Podcast Group. The group will pop right up. You can request to join, and then you'll see all of these great articles, along with other things that I share with the group throughout the week. Anyway, I hope to see you in there. All right, so for today's show, I'm sharing my garden tote essentials. These are my favorite things. I call them the loved, discovered, and wonderful things that I like to use when I'm in the garden, and I think some of them are pretty unique to me. But I've had the opportunity to have friends come into my garden and garden with me over the years. And occasionally they'll remark, oh my gosh, I didn't ever consider having that in my garden tote. Or I love how you do that. I would love to incorporate that myself. So I thought this would be a fun little way for me to get back into the podcast this week and share this with you. And it kind of all started because my favorite garden tote was getting so many holes in the bottom of it that I needed to branch out and get a new one. And so I did what anyone would do that can't get out of the house or just doesn't have time to go searching for a new one. I jumped on Amazon to see what I could find. And by the way, I made sure to source everything I'm talking about on the show today on Amazon so that if you want to just pull these things quickly together just by shopping online, You can go to the show notes for this episode and you can get everything right there in one fell swoop or get the things that you like and leave the rest, what have you, whatever works for you. Anyway, I found this particular item that's not really meant to be a garden tote per se, but that's what I'm using it for and I absolutely love it. It's called the Bucket Boss and it's a hard tote. You cannot zip it shut. It's almost like a toolbox that's open. It does not have a lid, but it's got a very strong handle. And it has all these little pockets on the perimeter. And what I love about it is, number one, it's super affordable. It's $22.99. It's extremely durable. It's got all of these little external mesh pockets. The inside of it is a perfect rectangle. So it makes it great for putting little containers inside or putting some type of little organizing system inside, which is what I did. And it's just super handy. In fact, it comes with this steel handle that has a foam rubber grip around it. So it's super comfortable to lug around. It's got a hard, flat bottom. And it's probably the most organized my garden tote has ever been. So If you're looking for something new and you want to give this a try, check out this Bucket Boss tote on Amazon. One of the other things I like about it is that since I can't close it, I'm able to put super tall objects in it. It can just fit more than my regular tote could. And since it's completely open, it's this open concept, I'm a little bit more particular about it because I'm not going to just leave it out to get rained on because I know that everything is wide open and exposed. So that baby needs to get back in the garage when I'm done working in the garden. So what I like about it is how organized I can be, how I can see everything that's in my tote, that it's got all these little pockets. So I give the functionality an A. Now, I have about a dozen or so items that I wanted to share with you that are in this tote that are probably a little bit unique to me, but something that if you're interested in purchasing for yourself, you can go ahead and do so and and start to incorporate these items. The first is a resource that Robert Corrick created for Smith & Hawken, and it's this book on pruning, And I love it. I consider it my field guide to pruning. So if I'm ever unsure about how to prune something, this is my go-to. This is my field guide to pruning. 
And by the way, Robert Corrick was on the show back in episode 529, and we did a deep dive on his book, Understanding Roots, which I thoroughly enjoyed and which has completely forever changed how I see or how I think about roots. So check that out when you get a chance. But this particular guide you can get on Amazon. It's a super resource. It'll set you back about $12, but I purchased it after my interview with Robert last year, and I love it. It's become my field guide to pruning. Something else that I started keeping in my garden tote a couple of years ago are votive candles. Now, why did I start doing this? Because a lot of times I garden kind of at dusk. I'll be doing one more sweep through the garden, and then I want to sit down and relax a little bit. And I did a great job about five years ago of putting lanterns in the garden. But what I wasn't so good about doing is keeping votives handy and actually putting them in the lanterns and lighting them. And there's just something about having a little flame in the garden that makes you want to sit out there and enjoy a little bit. So what I started doing is putting a little Ziploc bag of votives in my garden tote. And then as I'm doing my final pass through through the garden, I'll just tuck those votives in the lanterns and then I'll light them. I usually keep a lighter, of course, also in the garden tote. And then I'll get the candles lit. And once I'm done with that, I'll put the garden tote away and then I'll go back out and just enjoy some time in the garden. That was something that I dedicated myself to a few years ago, spending more time just enjoying the garden. And the candles and the lanterns really encourage that. They kind of beckon me. So before the mosquitoes get too bad, getting those votives in the lanterns and lighting them is something that I really have developed as a gardening practice. And it really is all because they're in my garden tote and they're handy. Another thing I use all the time in the garden are S-hooks. And S-hooks come in so handy, whether it's hanging plants or hanging tools. I just end up using them all the time. I have a little outdoor potting bench, and as I'm organizing things, I often need a couple of extra S-hooks. So I love having those things handy. My garden has fencing all the way around it, and the S-hooks can be used on the fence line. They're just super handy. And then along with that are cup hooks. And I like to get little cup hooks that are brass or white, but most of them are brass. And again, I'm using those in the garden on my hardscapes. So whether it's I'll use it to help secure the garden gate or I'll use it to hang tools or tiebacks for fabric that's in the garden, what have you. Cup hooks are very handy. And since I use them so frequently, occasionally they pull loose and then you can't find them when they fall on the ground. So it's always great to have extras in your garden tote. But I love them and I use them all the time in the garden. Another thing I keep in my garden tote is a big aluminum dry bin scoop. Now, these are fantastic. You can get them on Amazon in all different sizes. That's how I first stumbled upon them. I put together my own potting soil mix. And whenever I do that, in that bin, I will usually just leave one of these aluminum scoops because they can withstand the elements. But sometimes when I'm scooping potting soil or I just need to be able to scoop something up, and I don't want to use like a digging tool, these scoops are awesome. So again, I found mine on Amazon originally, and I've provided the link in the show notes so that you can track them down. But Amazon will usually sell them in sets of two, or if they're the really big one, they'll have it in a set of one. But I went on a little kind of scoop frenzy the first time I discovered them because number one, they're so affordable. And then number two, I came up with all these different uses for them, whether it's Scooping out dog food, I use the scoops for that. We have a huge glass cookie jar in the kitchen where that we keep filled with goldfish crackers. So I put a scoop in there so when the kids come home and they just want a quick snack, they can scoop out some goldfish crackers. I use scoop for putting salt on the driveway in the winter. Just a lot of different uses beyond the garden. But these scoops are really handy, and I always like to have one in my garden tote. Another thing I like to have handy in my garden tote are squares of burlap. I love incorporating burlap into my containers and throughout the garden. 
these little squares that I pre-cut, I'll put a little handful in my garden tote, just like when you're grabbing a bunch of napkins from a fast food place. I'll do the same thing with these squares of burlap. In fact, it's a job that my student gardeners often do is they'll take a roll of burlap and then they'll cut it into squares for me so that it's more usable. And I do all kinds of things with these squares of burlap when I'm in my garden. First, I'll use them to act as a little buffer between my terracotta pots. So I'll put a terracotta pot upside down and then I'll put some burlap over that and then I'll stack another pot on top of that. And so it'll be, you know, terracotta pot, burlap, terracotta pot, burlap. And it's adorable. Number one, they don't stick together so they can be outside in the winter and they're not like expanding and contracting and everything's cracked and broken when I come out in the spring. So it acts as a little bit of a buffer. And then they don't stick together when I go to use them. And then finally, I love to have that burlap because it does a couple of things. First, if it's at the bottom of the pot, it's going to stop soil from going out that hole at the bottom of the pot. But the other thing I like to do is I will have that burlap peeking out of the edge of the pot after the soil has been added. And it's just this nice little layering effect elevates the terracotta pot into being something a little bit more special. So I'll have the terracotta pot and I'll have the burlap on the inside almost as a liner. And then I'll add the garden soil and the plant material and that kind of thing. But it's just kind of a nice little layering effect. And then to top it all off, I'll usually put something on the outside. So whether it's a piece of twine or rope or wire something to make it just a little bit more interesting than just a standard terracotta pot with a plant in it. But I tell you what, that darn burlap, those little burlap squares have come in so handy for me. And I have a little bin that I place them in when we've got a whole nice new supply of it, but I'll just replenish my garden tote from that little bin. And I love to keep a supply in my garden tote. Another thing I keep in my garden tote is Benadryl. Now, I started to put this in my garden tote when the kids were little, and I had this honeysuckle that was growing over an arbor that always seemed to draw bees. And about once a summer with four kids, it seems like somebody always gets stung by a bee or a wasp or what have you. So having Benadryl handy has been great. And then also I have allergies, and a lot of times I'll mean to take that before I go out to the garden, but I don't remember. So this is just a little way for me to have that on hand when I get out to the garden. I'll almost always have a water bottle with me. And so to have Benadryl right there in my garden tote, I love that. All right, this next item is something I usually track down from thrift stores or garage sales. You can also get it on Amazon. And that is serrated steak knives. These are a little bit more heavy duty than, say, an Oneida steak knife, something you know really nice that your mom might have had back in the 70s. These would be the the tough black-handled steak knives or wooden-handled steak knives that are pretty dangerous, but they're short. They're about the size of a paring knife, but it's the serration, I think, that makes them very effective in the garden. So if I see those, usually at a thrift store or a garage sale, I'll buy a few and I'll tuck them in my garden tote. And that's one of the things I loved about this bucket boss, this new garden tote that I'm using or this this item that I've turned into my garden tote is because it's so durable. I don't have to worry about things like these serrated steak knives destroying this new tote that I'm using. So I really like that. And these guys, these serrated knives are great for going along edging or cutting out plants that are growing up through pavement or pavers. I just really like having them in a garden tote. And I like to keep more than one in there because I always seem to lose a few of them. All right, next on the list is wire. And in this case, I'm not talking about that green craft wire or that green twisty that people use in the garden to tie back things like roses or what have you. Here I'm talking about kind of a bigger gauge, either aluminum wire or copper hobby wire. This stuff I use all the time in the garden. Sometimes I'll use it to secure twine to mason jars or pots in the garden. I might use it as a decorative element in the garden, but I'm forever using this thicker copper or aluminum wire in the garden. What's really great about it is that it's so pliable. You don't need any special tools to bend it. 
You do need a wire cutter. And so I always keep a wire cutter in my garden tote. But these thicker gauge wires come in super handy. And they can up the elegance factor when you're trying to secure something, especially if it's going to be visible. So for instance, I think about this living wreath that I have, this huge succulent wreath that I put over an arbor that has benches under it in the summertime. And I used to secure that to the arbor with these black bungee cords. And while they did the trick, they weren't very aesthetically pleasing. So enter my copper hobby wire and something that always kind of bothered me in the garden, I now love. It's a nice little element. And you can do all kinds of fun things with this wire. I was with a friend one time and we were trying to put tags on different containers to say what was in that particular container as far as plant material. And we came up with a way where we were using the copper wire and these tags, and that's how we added them to the pot. It was really very sweet. And and it was just something a little different instead of using twine or string or something like that. Now, as long as we're talking about what's in my garden tote, I wanted to share with you where I get my garden gloves. And a few years back, I just started going to Lowe's. And my favorite brand for gloves are the Cobalt gloves. And the ones that I really like are 15 bucks. They've got a leather palm, and then they've got knuckle protection, which is great for working with the roses, and they're $14.98. So you can either get them online at Lowe's or you can go to Lowe's, but that those are the gloves that I usually go to. Those are my favorite gloves. So as long as they're clean, those are the ones I will probably use unless they're not available, but they really are my favorite work gloves for being in the garden. And they're v- very generously sized as well. So if you have bigger hands or you just want a little bit more room or protection, these are really great. They're They're work gloves. They're not really garden gloves, but they're my favorite gloves for being in the garden. Something else I always keep in my garden bag is pipe sealant tape. This is what I consider to be white plumber tape. You know, if you're ever repairing your shower head, you need that white tape to go around it. Well, I do the same thing with my outside spigots. I'll use this white tape around it so that I can get things easily on and off the outside spigots. So I always keep white tape in my garden tote. Now, along with that, something I'm forever forgetting the name for is my channel lock. It's this bigger grip lock utility tongue and groove pliers. I mean, it's heavy duty. But what I really appreciate about it is that if I have something on my spigot and I just can't remove it, I don't have the strength to do it, the channel lock is going to help me twist that thing off and get it loose. So the channel lock and the plumber tape go together and they're always in my garden tote. Something else I keep in the garden tote are kitchen tongs. And I found these, this really excellent pair of kitchen tongs that are stainless steel, but then they have cushions at the top. So when you're working with them, you've got something nice to grip. And I use these for things like pulling thistles or dealing with roses sometimes. And after getting a rose thorn injury in my knuckle, I am extremely cautious about how I handle roses. And these tongs come in very handy. Okay, we're almost done. Something I stumbled on a few years ago that I really like, and I use it all the time in the garden, is this craft wire that looks like it's wrapped with bark or vine. So when you use it in the garden to secure things, it doesn't scream at you the same way that green twisty material does. This is very natural looking and it's very durable. And again, this is where your wire cutters is going to come in handy because you're going to need a wire cutters to cut this stuff because it's thicker, but it's got a very rustic feel. And the first time I ordered it, I thought, huh, I wonder if I'm ever even going to use this. And I use it all the time. I love it in the garden for tying things back because it just absolutely blends in. You would never know it's there. It's just such a great accent in the garden. So you can get a 40-foot spool of it on Amazon for about eight bucks. The first time I ordered it, I only ordered one. And then like three days later, I had to order another spool because I'd used it that much. Just in the first couple of days of using it in the garden, I just fell in love with it. So if you're looking for something like that, this is a really great option. You should check it out. I'll have the link in the show notes. 
All right. Along those lines is floral tape. And most people think about the green floral tape, and I do use that, but I also use brown floral tape, and I get both of those on Amazon when I run out. But it comes in so handy in the garden, and a lot of times people forget that floral tape is self-sealing, and it kind of creates a finish when you're working with plant material. It comes in very handy if you have a stem that's not very sturdy and you want to shore up maybe an area that's gotten bent. It's great for putting bouquets together. And another type of floral tape I love to use is the clear floral tape. That's very handy when you need to secure things and you really want it to blend in. You don't want people to see it at all. So that's another option that's available. Okay, we're in the home stretch. So the last items that I want to share with you were all included in my garden tote so that I would get better at giving my friends cut flowers. So first and foremost, I started carrying a little notebook and a pen and a few small greeting cards in my garden tote. And I usually get the ones that are about thank you card size, and they usually have flowers on them. You can get those at secondhand stores or find them at garage sales. But instead of bringing them in the house and creating an extra step for myself, I'll just keep them in my garden tote. And then when I cut flowers, I can immediately go to my garden tote and write a little note on a card that will accompany the flowers. And then there's two other things that I keep in the garden tote to kind of take it up to the next level. And the first is tissue paper. And I usually just go with a neutral green or a light pink and then ribbon so that when I bring someone a little bouquet from my garden, everything I need is right in my garden tote. I can cut the flowers. I can put the tissue around it. I can use ribbon or I can use garden twine. Of course, that's always in my garden tote as well. And I've got a little card ready to go where I can put anything I want thinking of you, have a great day, thought you'd enjoy this little bouquet from my garden. And that's it. And hopefully some of these things have inspired you to maybe take your garden tote to the next level and start incorporating some of these things so that you don't have to continuously run back to your potting shed or to your garage or into the house that you can start to corral everything you need, everything that you like to use in the garden and get it all in one handy, usable garden tote, something that works for you. And you know, they make great gifts too. So you could buy that little bucket boss and then fill it with some of these items and then gift it to a gardener and help them get started, help them get a little bit more creative about the things that they store in their garden tote and maybe revisit the functionality. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed today's show, the loved, discovered, and wonderful items that I like to use when I'm in the garden. In addition to all of the standard stuff I know we all already have, so I didn't go through any of that stuff, and I hope you found it useful and inspiring. That's it for the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. My first show back after rotator cuff surgery. I want to thank my team at Podfly Productions for hanging with me, David Myers, my editor, Ein Kadena my copywriter, and David Gregerson, my project manager. I also want to thank my listener community on Facebook. It's the Still Growing Podcast Group. And if you'd like to join, just go ahead and look that up. The next time you're on Facebook, just look up Still Growing Podcast Group and then request to join. You can interact with other listeners of the show. You can interact with me. You can also even interact with guests of the show. And I also want to make sure that I recognize the people from the Facebook group, from the listener community that make up my listener advisory board, they are Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine, Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. It's a suburb of Detroit. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was featured back in episode 
553. She was a guest of the show, and we talked all about native plants, incorporating them into your landscape, and I hope that we're all doing that in our 2017 gardens. Just a reminder, I'll have all of the information that I shared on the show today in the show notes for this episode over at my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. Just click on podcast in the top menu and this episode will pop right up. While you're there, you can also link to the Facebook group. There'll be a link at the top that's just called Facebook group. So it's a way to access the still growing podcast group without having to go through Facebook. And of course, I'd love to see you in the group. So go ahead, check it out this week when you get a chance. Until then, go take a second look at your garden toads. See what you need to add to it to make it more functional and useful for you in your garden this summer. Maybe think about the things that you want to do more of in your garden, whether it's cutting fresh flowers or enjoying a little candlelight, whatever it is, and think about how keeping those supplies in your garden tote can facilitate making that happen for you. And don't forget to enjoy the peonies. Cut one and bring it into the house and admire them while they're blooming. Before you know it, they'll be all done. So spend a little time with the peonies. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a sixfootmama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.